and welcome. You're listening to Canberra's People Powered Radio, 2XXFM 98.3. The program is subject to ACT with me, Sophie Singh, bringing you stories of community and current affairs from our local city and beyond. Stories with a global dimension. Tonight, we keep with our focus on environmental campaigns and activism. The campaign to stop the Adani coal mine from going ahead is a national one with a multi-thronged strategy ranging from direct action at the mine site and surrounding areas itself to actions in cities and towns across Australia. To find out more about the campaign and the strategy to stop the Adani mine from going ahead, we're joined by Annie Close from the Stop Adani campaign here in Canberra. Annie, thanks for coming on to Subject ACT. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Soph. I'm delighted to be able to talk about this Wonderful topic. Great. (laughs) Stopping coal mining. Let's start, I suppose, with the basics to give uh, listeners a sense. Where geographically is the Adani coal mine to be located? You would probably describe it as central Queensland, but I mean, Queensland's a big state. So if you head west from Mackay, it's going to be quite a few hours west from there. The camp of activists is up near Bowen and it's about a five to six hour drive from there to get to the mine site. So it's big country, you know. So the actual site where protests are happening is a significant distance from the mine site itself. Sorry, the camp, which is called Camp Bimby um, because it's on uh, Bimby traditional lands, isn't a protest site. It's a base camp, if you like. Right. So if people are staying up there and they want to go to the actual mine site, it's a a really long drive. And why such a length between base camp and the mine site? Is that because that was really the only practical base camp site to set up? Yeah, the first... Look, there have been protests happening up there for 10 years because it's been a 10-year period since the mine was first uh, raised as a possibility. And you probably know the Carmichael Basin, Basin is the word. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. You know, is huge and there's a huge amount of coal there and there are a lot of other companies that have an interest in it, including Gina and Clive both have interests up there. So... Protests have happened and it's always been a bit tricky, a bit difficult to get there. And then in about 2017, a group of people went up and camped in Bowen and focused on the port. There's no coal actually being dug out at the moment, but there is other coal being dug out in Queensland central basins. So it goes through what was then the Adani port. Uh, It's been renamed, but it's still owned by the Adani Corporation. So the focus was on the port and at that time a few people thought we really need to actually own a piece of land and so they bought a piece of land and that was sort of the the closest they could get I think to the actual mine site. I have to say that the large part of the focus of this campaign has been as you mentioned in the cities and in the towns because it's very hard to go and protest in a place that's a long Particularly way from so huge as well. It's so huge and it's a long way from anywhere. And it isn't like, say, the Franklin, where you're going to a very beautiful place and being photographed defending a really beautiful place and it's instantly clear why that's important. Or a place like Terrania Creek or many of the forest campaigns. When you're going up to the Carmichael Basin, you're kind of out in what is very much scrub Well, sort of open woodland country, you know, it doesn't have the same photogenic nature. (laughs) So can I ask the port, 
and the passage of coal from the port, which potentially would be a huge amount of coal freight going through, that's where the risk and the fears are for the Barrier Reef. There's a few concerns for the Barrier Reef. If the Adani coal mine went ahead, there'd be 500 additional coal ships going through the Great Barrier Reef every year. And that means they're having to track their way through, you know, delicate reef. I mean, they're shipping lanes. I imagine they would have to blast wider lanes in order for that to happen. So that's a kind of direct impact. But of course, the bigger impact on the reef is the potential from the burning of that coal that would be mined. So it's the carbon coming out of that mine and then contributing to climate change and therefore warming the oceans and therefore destroying the reef. So there's multiple impacts or threats, if you like, to the reef. Before we look at the actions that have happened and continue to happen in the cities and the towns, can you just give me a sense of what actions happen close to the mine site, the direct action that happens. Yeah. Well, the most recent thing that happened was that the Wangan and Jangalingu people, who you may know have had their native title extinguished by the Queensland government in order for the Adani mine to go ahead, decided that they maintain that contact with the land and they are going to keep going onto that land, which they have been doing for a long time to do ceremony. And then they decided they were going to invite other people there too. So they held a thing called the Tour de Carmichael, which was a a big cycling event. And I think, you know, 100 or more people cycled several days and then camped on the land and, and had a ceremony. So the Adani mine were not happy about that, but they didn't try and oppose it and it was very much a respectful to the Wangan and Jangalingu ceremonial event. When there are protests out there, they tend to be um, blocking gates or things like that, but they're very short-lived at the actual mine site. More significant direct action has happened around the port and about blocking the railway line into the port or people locking on to machinery in the port itself. It's a more achievable thing to do. Sure. And what work is actually happening uh, at the mine itself to build the mine? You said it's been going on for 10 years. So where is the development of that mine at? Mm. So it's 10 years since the first approvals were given. There's been years and years of delays, largely through citizen action. And what's been happening in the last year or so is they've been clearing the land because they need to clear a big area to build a workers' camp and then before they can start building the mine. So, um, you know, there's endangered species up there. There's been a lot of damage done and there was a big fanfare from Adani recently that they had dug up a couple of lumps of coal. So, you know, they've still got to build the railway line, which they're working on. So there's a huge amount of infrastructure that is critical for the mine to be operational, but also each adds to its own damage. It does. Yeah, it does. And so as you can imagine, all of those things have been the target of people who are really concerned about the climate impacts of this mine. So for example, one campaign we did was with the company Siemens. They provide the signalling that will be needed for the railway line. So many, many people in Australia contacted Siemens and protested outside their offices. And I think, unfortunately, the contract had already been signed. The global group finally gave us a statement saying, well, it's already been signed. We can't do anything about it. But if they break any laws or do any environmental damage, we will reconsider. Well, of course, since then, there's been a, a number of breaches of environmental permits. And so we've gone back to Siemens and said, you know, 
And that's an ongoing thing. People are going back. Well, interestingly, the CEO of Siemens internationally has now left that company, maybe retired. He responded to one of the Stop It Only people saying, look, I'm really sorry this happened. I really regret that it ever happened. They could have broken the contract, but it would have cost them money to have broken the contract. So things like that. A lot of work has been focused on contractors who provide services, the people that do the roads and the buildings. I think there's been like 100 companies that have been, you know, very politely asked to reconsider their position and who have gone, yeah, this is a bit dodgy. I don't, not only environmentally, but Adani has also reneged on contracts and things. So yeah, about 100 companies have sort of step back and said, no, I think we'll avoid this. And so you have the combination of that grassroots pressuring of companies along with companies assessing the risks of coal anyway and choosing to step back or divest or whatever um, because of the very real risks, which are coming together to uh, increase the effectiveness of that strategy. Yeah, I think insurance has played a big role. We've really focused on insurance companies. And Insurance companies are really well aware of the risk. Absolutely. And I think the things that have been happening around the world just in the last few months really must bring that into focus. The floods in Germany and in China, the fires in North America, well, the bushfires in Australia all have a big impact on the insurance industry. And I think, actually, I think they've known for decades that climate change was going to cost them a lot. So there's actually been less and less companies prepared to insure the mine. And it got down to a few that were part of the Lloyds of London group. Um, And it turns out we learned all this as we went along. It turns out companies in that group are the ones that insure most of the big dirty fossil fuel projects around the world. And so kind of constant lobbying on those groups, one by one, they were stepping out. It was very interesting to watch. And then finally, Lloyd's brought in an environmental policy. Now, in their whole history, hundreds of years, Lloyd's has been around. They've never had any policy about what they will or won't insure for any social or environmental reason. You know, that's it's always just been business. And they came out earlier this year with saying, okay, we've got an environmental policy and we're going to, I think it's by next year, we will no longer insure um, tar sands, you know, which is huge industry in North America, um, incredible destruction. Um, a mining, mining company. Mining, oil tar sands, right. yeah. So, and also I think it's no new coal projects. So what that meant to me was, wow, we're focusing on this one mine and we know there's stuff happening everywhere, but just the repercussions of companies hearing about this mine and knowing that it's risky, they're starting to step out of other things too. And one of the things I found really exciting about our focus on Lloyd's was that all around the UK and Europe, people were protesting outside Lloyd's companies holding up big Stop Adani signs. And we were like, oh, wow, <laughs> they're on the other side of the world and they're caring about this. It's really, you know. Having a thing. sense of having an impact beyond, Absolutely. you know, just, just our own front yeah. yard or backyard. Yeah, and that's been one of the interesting things about the Stop Adani campaign, and it's always been for many of us, oh, we're just focusing on one mine. It's such a big issue. Sometimes choosing one thing and putting all your energy into that can end up having impacts far more broadly. Yes. That's been really exciting to see. So a lot of the pressuring and focusing on particular contractors and suppliers is happening in the cities and the towns. What other action is happening in those metropolitan areas as part of the Stop Adani campaign? Yeah, I think it's fair to say there's thousands of people involved in Stop Adani and it's all little groups even in the big cities, there'd be, you know, a dozen small local groups. And 
ever since we've gone into COVID situation with, you know, lockdown or not locked, whatever, um, we've gone a lot more into the online world. Of course. You know? So just to go back into history, in 2017, our first focus was on the Commonwealth Bank and Westpac because they were considering funding Adani. And so all around the country outside those banks, there were people with banners and signs and handing out leaflets. And I remember the Westpac in Civic yeah, near the merry-go-round. Right. Yeah, yeah, there was a, b- a big one here. Yes. And within a couple of months, both of those banks had brought in policies. They didn't say, we're not going to fund Adani. They brought in policies to say things like, we won't fund coal of a certain quality. You know, it was all couched in technical terms, but what it meant was it ruled out them providing any finance to Adani. So that was sort of the beginning of the work on the banks in, you know, well, in the more recent time, there's probably was stuff happening before that. Um, and so we come to today and what we've got today is there's five international banks that are currently funding not Adani Mine, but Adani Corporation. Right. And it's a big complex, like many multinational corporations, it's a big complex entity. And so some of these companies are probably funding parts of Adani not realising that ultimately it is funding the mine or they've got bonds or shares in the port and so they are facilitating coal mining and yep. shipping even though they may not realise it. So we've been yes. drawing attention to them. So HSBC, British Bank, well, Hong Kong and Shanghai Banking Corporation was the original name, so a bank with a long history in China and UK is one of the banks that has been in investing. And have you had responses from those? Oh, well, it's been interesting because we were very careful. We were outside the local, um, there's only one branch in Canberra, we were outside there, and they locked the doors to not allow us to go in. We just wanted to go and talk. And they did eventually let people go in with letters. We had individual letters to the bank. And a few people who had accounts there went in to say, well, look, I'm really reconsidering whether I want to keep my money here because... I don't want my money going into this sort of stuff. Yes. Um, and what people were told was, oh, no, no, we're not investing in the Adani mine. And it, so is it like an education process yes. for them to say, well, no, you're not directly investing in Adani coal, but indirectly you are. And we know the people at the local branch. I mean, you know, they're not the ones making the decision, sure. investment decisions. And we're always very friendly and polite to them because it's yes. just their job and we don't want to give them a hard time. But we really know that if we go and do something outside a bank, that message goes up the line yes and you know so and particularly just, if it's not just this local branch right. but branches around the country yeah, that's right so usually we'll do like a week of action and so all around the country people will go um to banks and you know just really try and raise the information level around the people working in the bank but also the customers If you've just tuned in, you're listening to People Powered Radio in Canberra, 2XX FM 98.3, with me, Sophie Singh, and the program is Subject ACT. Tonight, Annie Close, an activist with the Canberra Stop Adani Group, joins us as we take a closer look at the campaign to stop the Adani coal mine. How coordinated um, is the overarching strategy in the sense that is there discussions on how actions happening in cities and so on might coincide with timing of actions at the site itself? Or is it really the different elements are essentially focusing on their own element? 
there are people connecting, but we're not like any kind of corporate it's structure. It's a loose you know? uh, it's network. A, it's a loose group of people. And so, yeah, people will share information that, you know, something going to be happening somewhere. But generally over the last few years, our urban focus, which has been on the finance and on the insurance and on the um, contractors, we've tried to coordinate it around the country in terms of the, like, for example, do something, we all do something for a week. Yes. But- the stuff that happens up in North Queensland tends to roll along, and that depends a lot on who who arrives with the energy because it's a big personal risk to go. Of course, up and a there. big commitment. A big commitment. I have so much admiration for people who've gone up and locked on to things because I don't think I've got the courage to do that. Um, I did go up and, and, you know, I helped in the kitchen and helped in the garden and did my best to support, be a support person. But, you know, to be locked on. I mean, there are a lot of Canberra people who've been up there yes. and been locked on for, you know, 24 hours. That's that's a big commitment. Absolutely. And um... With the direct actions, is the prime focus on creating disruption to business as usual so those processes can't go ahead or they can't go ahead in the timeframes as planned? I think there's multiple reasons for it. One is that it does disrupt. So, for example, if people are locked on at the port, that'll stop the port operating for a certain amount of time if they're locked onto a critical piece of machinery. So it's a delay. It's a cost yes. to the company. You know, ideally it is reported in the media. So, again, it keeps bringing it into the public mind of climate change is happening. It's incredibly threatening to us all and some people are prepared to do extreme things to draw attention to it and to try and protect. And do you continue to get a reasonable level of media coverage? No, I am actually incredibly sad about the media coverage on climate change in general. Um, uh, Hooray for 2XX (laughs) and small independent media because, honestly, you know, 25 years at least the science has been telling us this is incredibly important and dangerous and action must happen and we keep having... It's a struggle to it's get It's a real coverage. struggle. To, you know, um, I remember one time I asked a journalist, what can we do to draw attention? And, and she said, well, maybe if you all took your clothes off. And so, so I said, okay. And about six or seven wonderful people on a winter's morning, Canberra, down by the lake, I think it was minus two, they all took their clothes <laughs> off and they had a you know huge banner about climate. We sent the pictures out everywhere didn't get anything. Yeah, okay. you know? And this yes. is why people end up doing more yes. extreme things in one way, because if the media was doing its job, really reporting what the scientists are saying and what the impacts are, then this would all be taken care of itself. You know, ordinary people wouldn't have to go and put themselves at risk. SBS recently screened the film Wild Things, which is about the Tasmanian forests and about the um, North Queensland Adani mine and the school strikers. So that's a film that's been made about those protests and it draws in footage from Terrania Creek and from the Franklin Dam and showing that sort of history of people have had to step up and do this to protect these places. And then, of course, later on, those places are hugely celebrated yes. and they're seen as, wow, a fabulous tourist attractions and treasures and hooray and Absolutely. how wonderful that happened. But at the time, of course, those people who were protesting were, you know, regarded as not being very, well, they weren't seen as citizens doing Something for the good of the country. Yes, yes. Mm. 
with the actions that happen up at the port, does it result in a series of, of continuing legal charges and so on? Is that Yeah, so people are generally arrested, taken off to the courthouse. Sometimes their cases are heard quickly, but often they're not. And so that presents another issue for people who travel up there sure. that they might, will probably have to go up It's a long way to go. To go yeah, to go back to, to go sure. to court. Sometimes that can be done over the phone or over the internet. And, you know, inevitably those people will will be given a fine. Magistrates vary greatly in their attitudes to um, direct action. Yes. I mean, some will not give any sentence or give a very small fine and, and often make a comment in their judgment saying we understand <laughs> why you're doing this. Others are, um, are more punitive because they are maybe not seeing the bigger picture. It's not criminal activity <laughs> in the sense of, normal sense of that. And possibly as a discouragement. Yeah, although I think I, I think that the courts probably in Queensland are really aware that it's not going to stop. You know, I mean, ultimately with something like climate change that is so big and so threatening, people are just going to do it anyway. They're going to go out on the streets. They're going to protest because we have to. Yes. Because we've got kids and grandkids. (laughs) And it's the future of the planet, isn't it? It's the future of the planet. Yes. And if people want to get involved in the campaign, how might they do that? Yeah. Well, if you're in Canberra, if you're on Facebook, we have a um, a Stop Adani Canberra Facebook page, which lists all our upcoming actions. The Stop Adani campaign itself has a website, which is stopadani.com, so you can sign up on there as well. We meet by Zoom nowadays every Monday night, and people are welcome to join that. I think probably send a message to the Facebook page or sign up on the Stop Adani website. It's been really interesting. There was a whole lot of stuff about the campaign that I didn't know. So thank you very much, Annie. It's been good. Well, thank you, so. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. That was Annie Close from the Stop Adani Group in Canberra, one of many Stop Adani grassroots groups around Australia and from what Annie said, around the world. You can find out more or get involved in the Stop Adani campaign. Just go to the Stop Adani Canberra Facebook page or the Stop Adani website. And that brings us to the end of tonight's program. I'm Sophie Singh. Thanks for listening. And as we're all in lockdown, stay at home, stay safe and try and have a good week. 